Kia ora and welcome to episode 129 of the Stag Raw. This episode I've got the epic Dr. Greg Emerson back on the podcast. We have a really, really, really good conversation around kind of resilience really, dealing with chaos and uh, crisis. And so, yeah, I think this is a very poignant time to to have Greg on. And then, of course, at the end, we talk about the immune system and possibly some tools that can be used to optimize yourself in this period of time. Um, The key to that is taking responsibility. And he goes through a couple of tools around doing that as well. So sit back, relax, enjoy this conversation and uh, keep an eye out for Greg's podcast itself, Treat the Cause. Um, unfortunately, the podcast that we recorded prior to this one went off into the ether, so we'll have to do another one uh, next week. But yeah, don't worry about me being on the podcast. Uh, Greg has some awesome information and some awesome guests already so far on the Treat the Cause podcast, so make sure you check it out. And like always, reach out to Greg and myself on Instagram um, and have a chat and share your thoughts of, of what you think about this podcast. Um, and it would mean the world, and it's so awesome to see if you could share um, this podcast with anybody that you think would find value in it, uh, whether that's your audience or, or just uh, personally as a message to friends. Um, I really, really appreciate it, and thanks so much for everybody that uh, posted that they were listening to the podcast on Instagram or has reached out and, and said that they're enjoying what we're doing. So, yeah, change of tact, as I said in the last one from hunting. But uh, another really fascinating podcast, and I love having Greg on because he definitely lives life less ordinary and uh, he's an awesome person and and I'm so stoked to be able to call Greg a friend. Um, Yeah, enjoy. Good everyone. I have Greg Emerson, Dr. Greg Emerson, back on the podcast for round three. Um, Greg, I must admit today I was up up the hill, I went for my run and I was meditating and I had a bit of nervousness about speaking to you because I've been sort of, I've I've, I've been sort of listening and observing this COVID-19 without taking too much on board. Um, I've been checking out the numbers of New Zealand, um, coming up with a few of my own questions. I've been listening to Peter Atia and, and the old Joe Rogan. Um, and I was listening to Tim Ferriss today and the questions are starting to mount up and I thought that after talking to you today I might come up with more questions that might start a anxiousness or a fear response and we've already been talking for about half an hour here and and I'm feeling good so how are you feeling about all of this? Oh, look, I'm okay, actually. One of the benefits of being suspended from work and having no income with ongoing expenses of running my clinics was that I am, I am well experienced in what everybody is now going through. Uh, before, it felt like it was just me. And I went through uh, weeks of panic and terror and a sense of failure and 
realizing at two in the morning your your normally rational brain sometimes gets replaced by a brain that you don't recognize which is terrible some terrible self-sabotaging thoughts and you can see how easy it becomes for somebody to make a very bad short-term decision so i've been through all that so in a way i have seven months ago went through the initial couple of weeks of what everybody is going through the difference was me for me was it came on instantly it was one minute i was working and the next week i wasn't so in the one minute in the next minute i wasn't working and it was and, and found that the support that i thought that i had another interesting lesson from insurance companies etc was not necessarily guaranteed and in fact that didn't happen and so pretty much my whole of my life was pulled out from underneath me and i'm seven months into that now so i've learned a lot of lessons about that about what to rely on and what to not to rely on and what's an asset and what you think is an asset but might be a liability so in fact it's really been business as usual for me, but mm -hmm. I, I have come through this process uh, with a lot of life lessons that even when I thought that I was indestructible and untouchable in some ways that I wasn't, and you never know when crisis and disaster might come knocking on your front door. So I'm doing good, but only because I'm seven months into it. Mm. So for us, it was um, Monday. We got the Monday last time we got the notification that we're in level three, and we're moving to level four by Wednesday. And then somewhere around the end of Tuesday, it was notified to us that optometry, no, you're not in essential service. Um, as of tomorrow, that'll be it. And then so we... Yeah, people don't need to see you, is that right? That's not yeah. critical. <laughs> no, no pun intended. Vision, vision, is not, vision for the community is not critical. Yeah, no, it's not. You just need to look at cataract waiting lists to know that. Um, and then... Uh, Wednesday, we sort of did the stock take uh, by around three o'clock. We pretty much packed up and started having a, a glass of wine. And uh, by four o'clock, we were out of there. Um, you said it was a minute thing. How did the notification come through to stop practicing group? Oh, my suspension notification. It was an email. It said, on receipt of this email, you will stop seeing patients and your clinic will no longer continue to function on the receipt of the email <laughs> wasn't like, okay, you got two days to get things sorted. It was like, okay, you will now stop. Was there anyone in the waiting room or any? Yes. It was, it came through about three o'clock in the afternoon and there was still a couple of people waiting. And, and so uh, you, you said there was, there's been periods of feeling of failure, especially at 2am. What was, that feeling of going out there and saying, look, I'm sorry, and then for your staff to call ahead to say, I'm sorry, we can't we can't fulfill your appointment here is a list of people that aren't the same but might be able to help you. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I, the, the list of people that I felt that I'd failed was enormous. I felt that I'd failed my patients. Well, I didn't feel like I'd failed them because I, don't, I hadn't felt like I'd done anything wrong, but I felt that I'd failed them by not being able to protect myself from the uh, the motivation of some people to to shut me down i felt that uh, that i i had i was protected from that because of the kind of work that i did was above reproach it was scientifically based it wasn't harming anybody 
it was looking at the underlying cause of illness. And therefore, I thought that the chance of being suspended without having caused any problems was, was going to be zero. But I, I misjudged that. And I think that was a lesson that just because you think you're safe, you might not be. And you always have to plan for the worst case scenario. And I also learned that, I mean, one of my strategies to be safe was kind of work alone. And I realized that that was a mistake as well. And that security comes from, you know, no, there's no such thing as a Navy SEAL, if you like. There's a Navy SEAL team. Mm. You know, they made a movie about a lone survivor because of his extraordinary good fortune in surviving without the team and support and security comes from being in a great team. And I had made that mistake and was working alone. And I realized that, well, working on a loan doesn't necessarily protect you. And if you are attacked, then you're going to find yourself very, very, very vulnerable, much more without a level of support. And it was a mistake I won't make now. And it's a mistake I'm, I'm using now in this crisis is that I am in constant communication with, uh, with a small tribe of people who are like-minded, who are incredibly good at supporting each other, and we're sharing information and sharing support. And I'm out collecting seaweed, and I'm dehydrating seaweed and pickling seaweed, and I'm going to send some of those supplies out to them, and we're sharing food and sharing support and superior ideas. And you and I just talked about the, the benefit of storytelling and the benefit that we're in an age of where communication, despite being at home, is relatively easy as compared to what it would have been for our parents. So I, I, am, I am learning from my previous mistakes and going the strength is in the tribe. You have to be very careful about who you choose for your tribe, which I am, but I am now fostering and communicating regularly with those people and storytelling about ideas that we're going to use to go forward. And I didn't do that in my previous job. And it's, it's been an incredibly valuable life lesson. It's nice to know that I'm, you know, 56 and still learning valuable life lessons. Just when you think you've got it all sorted out, the, the universe comes along and taps your shoulder and says, sorry, Greg, the, uh, the Buddhist philosophy that, that life is a constant series of blessings, lessons through suffering is correct. <laughs> lessons through suffering. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that's been something that's been reiterated me, to me lately on a podcast. I was talking about this Buddhist person that one year in, I, I, I'm now enlightened. Well, last year, I, I, I didn't know what I was talking about. Five five years in, I'm now enlightened. Oh, those last five years, I didn't know what I was talking about. Ten years in, oh, now I'm enlightened. It's like, uh, <laughs> no, you are, you are constantly being reminded there's constant things to learn. And that's one of the things that I always try put across when, when the opportunity comes with this podcast is that being open, being adaptable, being able to learn is part of what uh, this extraordinary life life brings to us. Um, you, you've, you've had uh, extraordinary life, something that's not been the norms. Um, how enriching is it even when, like you say, you, you are in periods of suffering? Well, I, 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 you know, I think once you accept that there was always going to be suffering in life, and when I was in Bali on my yoga instructor's training, which I was really fortunate because I went there in January, and you know, if it had been March, February or March, I might not have been either go or get back. So I was very fortunate it was January. But we had some philosophy lessons from Indian philosophers while I was there, 
And one of the great lessons was this story. And I, I had never heard the story, story of the Buddha before, but one of the stories of the Buddha and was that there, or is that there was a woman whose two-year-old child died. And she, of course, was hysterical and emotional and ran around the village with her child in her arms, pleading with the other villagers to try and help her to resuscitate her son. And the villagers said, look, I'm, we're sorry, we've got, we, we can't help. He's, he's dead. And if there's anybody who can help, there's only one person, and that's the Buddha. I suggest you rush over and see the Buddha. So she rushes over in the Buddha, sees the Buddha. And the Buddha says, yes, I can help. All you need is some seeds. I can't remember what the seeds were. Let's say sesame seeds. You just need to get a bowl of sesame seeds. So the woman goes, oh, that's amazing. Everybody's got a jar full of sesame seeds in the house. I'm sorted. I'll run out and go to the nearest house and, and get a jar of sesame seeds. I don't think they had jars back in the time of Buddha, but you'll just have to go with my inferior storytelling skills. Whatever they used at the time of the Buddha, she rushed in. Somebody writes and says, he's an idiot. <laughs> they didn't have jars at the time of the Buddha. Yes, yes, they did. I don't know what word to use. So she starts to rush out the door. And just as she's rushing out the door, the Buddha stops her and says, there's one proviso. There's one subclause, like an insurance policy. There's always subclauses. The subclause is that you can only get the seeds from a house which has not lost a person, has not had a death in their house of somebody who they are incredibly close to. So she rushes out, starts knocking on doors, trying to find a house with sesame seeds where people had not experienced loss and death in their household. And of course, very quickly she finds that everybody that she visits had suffered loss, was, suffer was, was suffering, and had people that were very, very close to that they loved dying. And she realized the lesson from him that it's part of death is part of life and suffering is part of life. And she goes back to him and then she becomes the Buddha's first female disciple and actually learns, becomes a lifelong student of his. Just pause for a second there. Wind was blowing my curtains open. Yeah. Uh, so, so that was that was a very you know, I, and I look back on some of the things that have, have happened to me. And, and over the last two years, my family of five have gone to a family of two. My mother and father and my younger brother both died. So, and of course, having a life. One of the reasons I I left my emergency department specialist position in two thousand five was, and I've told this story quite a few times, was just the amount of death that I'd been exposed to and it finally got to me. And then, then recently with the, the death of three fifths of my family and particularly my younger brother who, who died of from post-traumatic stress disorder, essentially. And then the Buddhist story and, and learning about philosophy. And I have come to realize that suffering is always going to be a part of everybody's life. There's nobody who doesn't have suffering in their life. They might not talk about it, and that's one of the things, you know, when you see people getting angry in the coffee shop and angry in the bank and, and sometimes it starts to get you and I angry because they're getting angry. I just, I just think now about what probably the suffering they're going through and that's why they're angry. And I look at things with much more love and forgiveness now than I, than I used to and much less judgment about people's behavior because I realize that behind everybody's behavior is probably a good reason. So that's some of the lessons I've had from 
you know, my family dying recently and then my suspension. Yeah, I, was, I shared something today from Dr. Paul Wood, who, who I've had on the podcast. Now, he's a doctor of psychology. He got that, the majority of that psychology degree in his second five years in prison after um, murdering somebody. And that was exactly oh. the, the point that he, he surmised in this time is to just cut people that little bit extra amount of slack and one, it will allow them the space to release the frustration, which won't be about the moment. It'll be about what's, what's holding them down or, or, or creating anxiety, whether that's job security uh, connection or whatever. Um, And two, that empathy and, and, and cutting some slack will provide you with enough, space to not internalize um that and that's exactly what you're talking about there the fact that somebody else's anger can sometimes stimulate your anger and that's also what i've been been finding with the radio on um the incompetence of the story incompetence of you know of what is being said is triggering the heck out of me and that's that's what i was saying about at the start of talking to you I have a little bit of nervousness about knowing a little bit more um, in terms of, well, uh, like, like you said before we started talking, talking to a friend in Wellington who's a lawyer, that we're all fucked. <laughs> um, it, there, there's not a lot of reassurance out there. And um, in the podcast I did with you, it's, it's like that moment where you're looking down at your GPS in the bush and you see you've gone around in circles and uh, you go, I'm, I'm, I'm in the shit right now or I need to stop. Um, I think that's why I start, have started to feel better because it is that moment in time where we're two weeks in an isolation or lockdown or slowdown, whatever you want to call it. And it's right. Um, this, this might, this might be worse. It might not be, but let's, let's create a plan. Let's prepare for what's going forward. Um, how did, how this did is, this is definitely, definitely, uh, plan for the worst, hope for the best time. Yeah. yeah. How how did you move to a state of acceptance seven months ago and um, also being in Bali with this existential crisis rumbling away in China, um, what was sort of, uh, sort of tweaking your interest or, or were you still moving through that acceptance zone of what had happened to you that it was like, oh, that put that to the side. <laughs> I think what really helped me get out of crisis mode was the, was the acceptance. Okay. What's the worst case scenario? The worst case scenario is I might not be able to work as a doctor again. That's the worst case scenario. And I might lose everything. I might lose my house. I have to accept I might lose my health with, with legal bills and I may not be able to work as a doctor again. So when I make a plan, so the first thing you and I discussed was the concept of the, the stop and take action plan, which is stop, think, orientate, plan, take action. So first of all, I had to orientate what are my assets, what are my liabilities? Well, my liabilities is I might not be able to work as a doctor anymore after 35 years of dedicated service and not one blemish that it may be up to somebody else to decide whether or not I continue to work in my profession that I've devoted my life to probably since the age of 16. That was the worst case scenario. And the worst case scenario was that I might lose everything 
through that process, which I really didn't have any control over. That was somebody else's decision. So I better start, when I start, that was my liabilities. And what were my assets? I needed to make a plan and to make a plan, I needed to work out what my assets were. And then once I'd done that, I'd make a plan and take action. One of the things I realized was that I needed a team, that I'd been a lone survivor for a long period of time, assuming that was giving me, giving me security. And it didn't, and it was a failure on my part. So I realized the importance of team, and I realized the importance of having a plan based on a worst-case scenario. And I think that's a good thing for people to use now. What, who's in my team? Who's in my tribe? I can't do this alone. No way I'm going to be able to get through this crisis alone. I need to make a plan based on the worst case scenario. And then if it doesn't turn out to be the worst case scenario, everything else that after that is the icing on the cake. But I need to plan for the worst and hope for the best in the situation. And that gives you, and I think that was part of the stoic philosophy. You know, I did those videos on Marcus Aurelius. And then one of the things that's all, uh, you know, there's an epic, Titus and mm -hmm. Seneca, one of their plans was, you know, strip down to your undies and go out into the bush for a, a week and realize that you're okay. You can, if this is the worst I've got, then I'm still going to be okay. And I mean, you know, the, the Native Americans have done that with their um, vision quests and Aborigines have done that. It's always been okay. Go away for a week go through some tough times and know that you're still going to be okay. I mean, I mean a problem that I think the big problem in today's crisis is that we don't know how long this crisis is going to go for. So we need to make a plan for that. Cause when you go on a vision quest, it's four or five days. When you go walk about it's four or five days. When you go on any of those challenges is particularly us men that we used to go through with that, that um, I can't remember the term that we used to use uh, about right going passage. through a particular, Rite of passage, thank you. The rite of passage. Was it we knew how long it was going to go on for? At the moment, we don't know how long this rite of passage is going to go on for. We don't know how long this vision quest, this walkabout is going to go on for. So that's one of our, that goes in our liability com column. I don't know how long this is going to go on for. That's a liability. So what am I going to plan for? The fact that I don't know how long this, this is going to go on for. So that's something we should definitely be sitting down with our team and our tribe and going, okay, we need to make a plan based on the liability that we have no idea how long this is going to go on for. Again, I had no idea how long my suspension was going to go on for. So that, and it's been seven months now with no progress at all. So part of my plan originally was that this suspension might be permanent and I meant to make a plan for that. Mm. And then being in Bali with, with hearing the existential risk of a new, vi new virus oh. in China, <sighs> what was happening? Was it just pushed to the side? Look, Bali is an incredible bubble. Mm. Have you spent much time there? I've been to Ubud for uh, three days, and um, I, I right. So, side note: uh, I'm I'm watching uh, Dom Rapson, and I'm not agreeing with a lot of what he's saying, but that that's that's fine. Um, but he fell off his motorbike yesterday and was in hospital. And interestingly, you say Bali's a bubble. Interestingly, they're a case of a blocked down empty hospital when he managed to get surgery straight away so um yeah where and where was it where was he uh in in, in bali i don't know he must have been in oh he's in bali right okay Indeed, bizarre yeah look I th and i think one of the big lessons for me from bali and i i'd been to bali before but it was was early 90s and some of the videos i did with with 
uh, one of my yoga instructors when I was there at Tonya was the concept of contentment threshold. Mm. And that was really valuable. When you see how happy the Balinese people are, and when you see the minimalist lifestyle they have, and how they're not sitting there planning their next ski trip, mm-hmm. you know, and that was, you know, that was one of the, one of the things I would get enjoyment from. When was my next ski trip and where was going to go? And they're not sitting there, they're, they're, you know, you, you can't move on the roads for scooters because they don't have fancy cars, they have scooters. And they have this uh, beautiful, cheap supply of incredibly organic food and they value their health and they value their family and they value their tribe. And it was like, I was in this bubble, but it was a bubble that they had made for themselves and it was contagious. And I came back with this concept of minimalism and contentment threshold that I hadn't had before, which has been very refreshing for me that, that has allowed me to, to get through seven months of suspension uh, on much more positive level than I would otherwise by the fact of embracing minimalism and contentment threshold, that if I've got people around me who love me and I've got a roof over my head and I can get some food for the day, I'm in pretty good shape. And historically, historically, that's been the case. You know, and it's only been what, you know, our parents, our parents weren't planning their overseas trip every year. They were planning an overseas trip if they were lucky when they retired. My holidays when I grew up in Wellington and Nelson were, you know, driving up from Wellington to Palmerston North to stay with our my uncle and auntie up in Palmerston North. That was the annual holiday. And that's changed now with our expectations in life that we don't go to Palmerston North for our holidays. We go skiing in Japan. And nobody in Bali is planning ski trips to Japan, but they're happier than the rest of us put together because they, they have evaluated what is important to them in life, and that's love and family and tribe and communication. And that's been an incredible, valuable lesson for me. And you're right, I've been fortunate because I've had an extraordinary life and I've had some extraordinary accomplishments, and I'm really pleased for that. But at the moment, my extraordinary life and extraordinary accomplishments want to be finding happiness and minimalism and happiness with the people that I love. Yeah, no, you're right about the contagious joy and, um, you know, (laughs) the irony irony of it is is you've you've paid to go there and and, and you're stimulating their economy, but yeah, you are so immersed, uh, you very quickly sync with with the sun um you don't know what time it is partly because especially coming from new zealand you're about four hours out um and it's it's yeah it's utter chaos and at the same time utter bliss it's so and, and that's the other awesome thing about ubud is you walk literally out of that street and then you're in rice paddies and you and you can see the volcano and you're just like this is bizarre. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or there, there might there might be a, a, a group of shops and then a rice paddy and another group of shops. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, you, you walk you walk out of the the clothes shop and then you walk past the rice paddy with uh, with three people, you know, bent over at the waist, you know, planting rice in the rice paddy, um, still being happy. And uh, yeah, so it's it's a it's a I think it's um it's a it's a C.S. Lewis, Narnia, step into the wardrobe, back to a different life yeah. that we perhaps lived in the past and were still happy with. 
and it's a nice feeling. It's like it's like hopping into the wardrobe and going going to Narnia and seeing all the animals talking, and it's very it's very contagious, as you said, and it's it's uh, very good for the soul, which is why Bali has become such a popular place for people to go to. I think. Yeah. On the flip side of of bliss and joy, um, and this is something that I started getting anger for, uh, knowing Gary Fickey's story, um, and then seeing it happen to you in a slightly different context. But um, now, and I know you're sort of in, uh, have a have a dabble with Ayurvedic medicine, but living living in Northern New South Wales and knowing that knowing the Unimed story and knowing that they are accountable to no one, to hearing your story of no complaints, no issues, no harm, um, that that created a bit of anger, uh, and that was a, in me. Where, where did anger start to show up for you, and where where did you misplace that energy? I don't think I ever went through an angry phase. I went through a, a, a panic phase. I went through a depression phase. I went through a 2 a.m. in the morning on several nights phase of, whew, better be careful because my sense of failing everybody. I think, I don't know why I went through an angry phase and perhaps I should have, perhaps I should have, but I didn't. I think the more the most affecting was my sense of personal failure, which is not justified when you think about it, but it was the biggest battle for me was that sense of personal failure. And I think you know I've been reading the uh, the textbook of the autobiography of here it is in pieces textbook of the uh, autobiography of Mohandas Gandhi, and and I, in a way I was quite proud of myself that you know he said that that when he decided he wanted, it was time for India's independence and the, and the British should move out, he was persecuted a lot. And I was talking to a lot of philosophy teachers in Bali who were referencing Gandhi, and they said, I said to them, look, you know, he, he obviously had a lot of wrong done to him. And is he meant to just accept that, accept the wrong that's done to him, or is he meant to fight it? How can you live with love and compassion and still fight a wrong? Is that, can you do that? And the answer was yes, and he, he personified that. He fought the British like crazy. He fought, when he lived in South Africa, the persecution of the Indian community in South Africa, and he fought for independence. But he fought it with love and compassion and nonviolence. And I think looking back, when I go, maybe I should have got angry, maybe I should be proud that I got through that terrible period without anger and... And I've decided that, that I will get through this personal crisis with love and compassion, realizing that most people do what they do because they think they're right. And I, I think the other probably the reason I didn't get angry was that I was fighting a system. It was like this, and how am I going to fight a system? You and I can get angry when we fight, and we've got one or two um, combatants, adversaries. But this was a system who was saying they no longer desired me to be part of the club. And they mm. thought that my way of getting people better was not appropriate. And I thought, well, how, what, what, what's anger going to do for me? Anger is going to, in a, in, a, in a fight, is going to help you fight perhaps with more energy. But this was not a fight, that sort of fight. This was going to require a different sort of strategy and different approach. And I've approached it more with Gandhi that I'm going to 
in a way fight this and fight this by adapting and surviving and doing it with love and compassion rather than anger and violence. I, I think from my perspective, it was a little bit of um, a coping strategy because your calling out um, created fear in me. Um, you know, I make no exceptions that diabetics and, and smokers and, and people with macular degeneration should hear about some of the tools that are out there that they might, might not have heard about. And I've even written about them um, in, in some of our publications. And that's one of my intentions for this period of time is to write a third article about the tools and the messaging that type one diabetics should hear after this year, absolutely being heartbroken that a, a 32 year old female come in, her, her eyes are in absolute state and she wants to start a family. And, and um, the words reverberated in my head at that moment when, an ophthalmologist in Australia showed me a 20-year-old of, of similar um, prognosis say to me that this girl's not going to see her children grow up. And that's both literal, literally and, and figuratively. They, they literally won't see them and they are going to suffer the consequences of, of the comorbidities. And, and I wish that someone at, at, at age eight had, had shown her the likes of the Bernstein method or, or something like that. Um, and that likely wouldn't be a consequence. And, you know, I've already been given e e letters back from ophthalmologists saying, you know, don't request these tests because they come back to me. You know, I, I requested that the uh, patient that had a branch retinal artery occlusion should be, you know, already on blood pressure and cholesterol management should be uh, looked further at for, for insulin resistance. And, and I had written things like kidney function and, and um, insulin resistance testing, and he didn't want to know about it. And it's like, if if that's this, like I said, the system that we're working in, where there's this hierarchy of of people, and and someone's got the opinion, and someone appeals to the authority, all of this could collapse around me. Now, thankfully, that's a yeah. lesson a lesson that we're getting out of this period of time. That hey, maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe maybe your uh, conviction and 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 your courage to help that person at a core level is what's more important. And um, as a, if, if, if you can't be part of one system, maybe there's another system that you could, could be a part of. And I think that's definitely the lessons of, of, of gauged from yourself and also from Gary Pecky. Now he's back in the, in the orthopedic system, but um, like us, when we get out of COVID, his, his life and his outlook is changed forever. Yes, I think that's a valuable lesson that, uh, that I have learned. Uh, and I think one of the things I've realised is that, that there are a lot of people in the health field now who are living in fear and that we haven't done that before in that of, of having an, an opinion which might not be 100% mainstream. And we're even seeing a bit. But look, at the, I mean, the COVID crisis has shown us that. How many different opinions? How many experts are out there? Mm. How many experts are talking to our our leaders and, and Donald Trump and that and and as many experts there are, there's opinions and that's been the case since the dawn of time that and we have tolerated those opinions and I think that we everybody is hoping that we come out of this. One of the improvements that we come out of this crisis is that we do have better communication and better acceptance of other people's opinions than than we seem to have 
at the moment. And we, we come out of this with a greater sense of personal responsibility is one of my hopes as well, a personal, personal responsibility to ourselves and our planet. And one of the interesting things that out of reading Gandhi's book was that he arrived at, when he was in Natal, the Indian population was, there was a, a plague outbreak in South Africa at the time that Gandhi was there. And the South African authorities were cracking down particularly on the Indian community because of their hygiene standards in their homes. And Gandhi said, well, you know, it was terrible that they were being persecuted. But he said there was some truth to that. And that their hygiene practices did need improvement, dramatic improvement. And, and he went around saying to the Indian community, look, we've got this crackdown on our personal abilities, uh, personal um, freedoms, because of the way we live our lives. And the way to fix this problem, because there's some truth to that, is improve the way we live our lives in our hygiene in our own environment in our own homes and he met with a lot of resistance and he met with from his own people uh who said no we're not going to do that we don't have to do that but eventually i mean and he he won over the south african authorities because he saw that they saw that he was trying to encourage his community to live to a greater have personal accountability and eventually that did come and they did improve the situation of their own personal hygiene and and the rest is history sort of in South Africa eventually. And I think that's one of the things that I hope that, we, that comes out of this crisis for us, that we learn, and you and I have talked about the immune system, and you and I have talked about how people talk about boosting the immune system. And I think some people don't believe in the concept of boosting our immune system because they think it works perfectly anyway, and you can't do anything to turbocharge it. And I think there's some truth to that. I don't think that we need to... We, we don't need to talk about boosting our immune system. We need to talk, talk about it returning it to its optimal state because we're living a lifestyle and in a world which is reducing our immune system from its optimal state. We don't need to boost it. We need to return it to its optimal state by changing our lifestyles and our relationship with the earth, which is why I'm sitting in here in my baggy hemp shirt that just arrived yesterday because I'm moving from wearing cotton to wearing hemp because I want to improve my relationship with the earth because all of us now are starting to come around the fact that we cannot keep having a relationship with the earth where we are destroying it and harming it and we need to live more in harmony with each other and the earth and, and that's my big hope for this crisis that we come out with that better relationship with, with each other and the earth mm. um one thought i've had on this uh, is and it was sort of self-evident from listening to eric weinstein talk to Joe Rogan is that the puppeteers of the world, the, 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 the inverted commas leaders aren't approaching this with humility and it all of a sudden becomes a facade. Uh, um, they're they're the, the puppet in front of us all and there's, there's no ability, or it doesn't appear to be, there's no capacity for them to say, I'm sorry, or, or, or preempt the fact that we don't know um, try to communicate where the, their thinking's at and it's very much do as you're told and, and we'll look after you um, and and just you sort of start getting worried about that, that we're just saying about your liberties all of a sudden um, and, and it's why we're seeing in the States such problems because like, like doctors they're living in fear of, of what um, encroaching on the liberties of, of the United States people would, would mean. Um, 
why do you think as the authorities to the world our our leaders aren't willing to step aside and bring in whoever it is that their experts or their delegated panel is and tell us the plan and tell us the thinking why do you think it's better for us to live in in shadow and and sort of feed off the dribs as they go uh, have, have you You've considered that at all or, or have any thoughts on, on that picture that we're being shown right now? Well, I think one of this might, one of the things that might come out of this, and I hope comes out of it, is the concept of democracy. And, <laughs> I mean, we elect, we elect officials to not rule over us, yes. but to represent us and our desires and needs and not be subservient to independent decisions without consultation. And I'm hoping that one of the things that comes out of review of democracy and, you know, we live in a civilization now where it is much more easy to get a democratic opinion rather than, you know, you don't have to go to walk down the road to a polling booth at all. You and I can sit in front of our computer and make some decisions. And I think, that, that I think I think the feeling is that that you and I are not involved in any of these consultation processes. The community is not involved in any of the consultation process. And people might come back and say, well, you're not educated enough to be involved in the consultation process. Well, educate us then. Give us the data that you've got, and then we can all be involved in the decision-making. And if the whole of the community decides that social isolation for the next three months, looking at the data is the way to go, then let's do that. But I think all of us are feeling like that we're not involved in the consultation process and we've just been told what to do. And I think that, that, that over time that we're going to look at the, the whole of government representation and see how can we have a greater voice in what happens to us in life. And, and we're not just want to be told what we want to do and we want to be involved in the consultation process and we want to be involved in the decision-making process. And I was looking, listening to a a talk by Dr. Shiva, I can never pronounce his last name this morning, about the whole concept of science. He's running for the Senate in the US. He's a very brave man with what he says. And he says, you know, we should all be involved in the consultation process and we should all be able to look at the data and make our own decisions about, about what science is telling us rather than just relying on somebody else's opinion and being told what to do. So we would like to be involved in the consultation process and I think that's that's will be one of my hopes that comes out of the situation that that we that there is a lot of information, but we all want to be involved in the decision making process as well. Mm. I think we feel like we're hope helpless at the moment now because we just our lives are reliant on somebody else making decisions for us without us being consulted, and I think that needs to change. Yeah, no, it's 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 fascinating. It's uh, it's going to be a whole new world, that's for sure. Um, you mentioned not so much boosting, but optimizing. Um, what I'm doing is I'm trying to intermittently fast to have a narrowed feeding window. I'm picking the blackberries that are around. I'm supplementing with magnesium and, and zinc and vitamin C. I have used, uh, I got some high-strength DHA and MCT oil. I'm drinking butter in my coffee, uh, keeping that coffee to once a day in the morning. Um, uh, what's the other thing? I, and supplementing with lion's mane 
and being on the farm, we are eating whole food. I'm also out in the sunshine. I'm exercising. I don't know much else to do. Um, there's, there's cold showers, there's exertion. So that, 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 that's taking the place of, of heat. Um, why do you think controlled stresses and uh, some supplementation may help? Are you eating any organ foods? No. Oh, we have some pate. That surprises me. We, we have some pate. There you go. <laughs> pate is liver. What's liver full of? Vitamin A. Yeah. So let's have a look. So let me quickly run you through. Let's, let's do this. Let's do it this way. This will be fun. Let me tell you quickly, tell everybody listening how the immune system works, none of which is controversial. It's all, everything I'm about to say is in the scientific literature, and it's all freely available. Just go on Google and type in selenium and virus, and you'll see the studies on selenium and virus. So let's run through how the immune system works super quickly, and then we'll run through what you're doing and put some ticks or crosses beside what you're doing and see how it fits in the system. Because the first thing to remember is that you and I have evolved 4.5 billion years since it was early life on the planet with viruses. We are mainly made up of viruses. You have 380, you are surrounded by viruses at the moment, trillions of them in the air around you, and you have 380 trillion viruses in your body. Most of your DNA is viral in origin, and that is called dark DNA. It might not be used, but it's given us an evolutionary advantage in that it gives us lots of spare parts to DNA so that we can quickly adapt to environmental changes, which is why we are still here and the dinosaurs aren't except for that giant crocodile swimming around up in Cairns. <laughs> and so we are surrounded by viruses. The one in the South Island? The Tuataras. Tuataras. <laughs> yes, so we have evolved. We have evolved with the viral threat, and we, in fact, we use viruses as a big part of our microbiome now, and most of the time they are good for us. So we have, we have evolved this way of surviving with viruses. So what's happened though, and that's why we have this immune system to make sure that relationship stays fair, that they don't overwhelm us. But the problem is that, and we have this very good immune system, which I'm running through, the problem is the way we're living our lives now is meaning that a lot of that, we are sabotaging that immune system. So what we wanna do is stop sabotaging the immune system. The way the Indians in South Africa were living at the time of Gandhi, they were sabotaging their health by not living in very sanitary conditions. See, we, what we don't have to do is we just have to stop, you know, pooping in the corner of the house. We have to start using a toilet and we have to start washing our hands. This was basic stuff. And again, this is basic stuff that what we have to do is start pooping, stops pooping on our immune system to make sure it op optimizes functionally. So let me run you through quickly how the immune system works in terms of viruses. And then we'll run through what you're doing and see which ones are putting a tick in that box. So the virus, it gets, it's, first of all, they're everywhere. They're in the air around us and we're inhaling them all the time. When we inhale those viruses and if it's a, a bad virus, the first thing that reaches our alveoli and our alveoli are the air sacs and our air sacs have to stay open and they use surfactant to remain open and surfactant needs saturated fat. So we need a good amount of saturated fat in our diet, and we got scared away from saturated fat, but we need saturated fat to make the surfactant to keep our alveolo open. And if you get a bad viral infection, we're seeing that now, the bad viral infection causes inflammation of these alveoli and they collapse and they fill with fluid. 
there's a big problem because what we're finding is our usual treatment of low oxygenation is ventilators and ventilators are a bellows system. We blow oxygen in, it comes back out, bellows in, out. Now that's good if you've got a problem with the bellows systems, if your breathing is not working very well, if you're paralyzed or something like that. Well, that's not the problem we have now. We have a problem is that alveoli are full of fluid. And what happens when you start bellowing? And these alveoli are like the tidiest, tidiest little balloons, if you like, very fragile. And we're bellowing giant amounts of oxygen into these fluid-filled alveoli sacs, which are collapsing. Well, that's not going to work very well. That's going to damage the alveoli further, which is why you're getting emergency departments and intensive cares around the world saying, we're putting these people on ventilators, but they're actually getting worse. And that's because it's not a bellows problem. It's probably because the alveoli are collapsing and filling with fluid. So surfactant is really important for the alveoli. Then the virus gets into our bloodstream, and the first thing that meets is a macrophage as part of your uh, immune system. Let's divide the immune system up into three cells, macrophages, T cells, B cells. The first cell it meets is a macrophage. It looks like a pack. Pac-Man, it's going around the body and it chews up, the, it swallows a virus, just like the Pac-Man you and I used to play in growing up at the fish and chip shop. Or maybe I'm older than you and you can't remember the Pac-Man. It was still there. It was still there. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're probably collector's items now. I sold my combi van when I was in Perth for $2,000. I wish I'd kept hold of it because it's probably worth $20,000 now. Probably find a Pac-Man machine in the fish and chip shops worth a fortune now because I've become a collector's item. So the Pac-Man swallows the virus. And then it tears it to pieces. Now, you remember a virus, actually, I missed a step. So a virus is a little bit of RNA, which is a tiny bit of um, genetic material, surrounded by a protein capsule to protect it, and then a membrane around that protein capsule. And when that virus gets into the bloodstream, the first thing it gets into is minerals in the bloodstream. And we know that zinc and iodine in the bloodstream are damaging to that viral capsule and will we'll kill the virus. They're directly virucidal. So you want to have lots of zinc and iodine in your diet. Then it gets to the macrophage, the Pac-Man. It chews it up. It tears it from limb to limb. And then it takes those little bits of destroyed viruses to your B cells and says, hey, this is a threat. Can you make some antibodies to this virus so when I get uh, exposed to it in future, you're ready to get rid of it straight away? So that's natural immunity. That's a vaccine. That's nature's vaccine. It takes the virus, it tears into parts, it presents little pieces of it which are no longer active to your B cells to produce an antibody. So what is, what is the macrophages used to destroy the virus and pull it apart? It uses a protein called cathelicidin. Where does cathelic, what does cathelicidin need to work to work properly? It needs vitamin D. That's why getting the sun is so critical for us at the moment because you need optimal levels of vitamin D for your macrophages to work properly. So then what happens is, is if the virus gets past the macrophages, they're the, they're the Marines, they're the first line of defense. If it then gets, if it gets through the bloodstream without zinc and iodine destroying it, if it gets to the macrophage and the mac it gets past the macrophage, it then wants to attach to L cells and inject its RNA into us. The idea of the virus is it's got to get into a side of our cells. It, it needs to reproduce itself. It, it doesn't have any reproductive organs. It has to get into our cells and use things called ribosomes in the cells, which replicate their RNA. So it's trying to hijack our ribosomes in our cells. So it lands on our cell membrane, and then it sticks this giant freaking hypodermic needle into our cells and injects its dirty RNA in us 
to hijack our manufacturing equipment. So what you want to do is you don't want let that happen. You don't want the virus landing on the cell and sticking that hypodermic needle in us. And what stops that happening? Selenium and iodine. So selenium and iodine both help stopping the genetic material of the virus to lock and key. You've got a burglar outside your house and he's trying to get a key to get in your front door at two in the morning. You do not want him having a key. So selenium and iodine stop the virus having the key to get inside ourselves. Then the virus gets inside ourselves, it hijacks our ribosomes, it starts churning out more and more and more and more virus particles into our cells full of viruses, and then it bursts out of our cells, releasing all the viral particles. So iodine, iodine comes up. Uh, there again, iodine stops it bursting out. Oh, and the other thing I forgot, I forgot to mention was that before our virus gets to our cell to attach to the wall, it's got to get past vitamin A. And what vitamin A does, it builds a keratin wall around our cells. It's like building a moat around our house or a force field around a house so the burglar can't get to the front door. So vitamin A, and if you just go to Google and search vitamin A and cytokeratin and look at images, you'll see some beautiful images of cells now that we've got electron microscopes where you can see this bright red cytokeratin skeleton around our cells, which is why vitamin A is so important. So now we've got zinc and iodine in the blood. We've got surfactant in our lungs. We've got zinc and iodine in our bloodstream. We've got vitamin D in our macrophages. We've got vitamin A with this force field around our cells. We've got... Um, iodine inside our cells, which is directly virucidal, and iodine also stops the virus bursting out of our cells. Now, you don't get sick from a virus. Virus doesn't make you sick. Virus doesn't create a toxin. Virus doesn't eat anything. Virus makes you sick because when it bursts out of our cells, our immune system goes absolutely berserk. It brings in the next layer of the immune system, which is the T cells. Now, the T cells have said the Marines aren't coping. The Marines and the Navy SEALs are doing hand-to-hand -hand combat, but there's too many freaking viruses now. They've replicated inside our cells, they've burst out, we're gonna have a shower of viruses. We don't have enough special forces or Marines anymore, so we're gonna call in the Air Force. The T cells of the Air Force and the T cells start dropping bombs on the virus and they are called cytokines. And if that cytokine storm gets out of control, that's when you and I feel terrible. That's when we've got the man flu lying in bed with muscle pains and fevers, feeling like we're never going to recover and moaning and groaning. Uh, that's the cytokine storm caused by our T cells dropping bombs, and those bombs are indiscriminate. So you really want to try and mitigate that cytokine storm. And one of the ways we do that, particularly in the brain, and we're seeing this virus is not only affecting the lungs, but also brain, our kidneys, is with melatonin. And melatonin, is the hormone from our brain which mitigates the cytokine storm. So you and I want to look after our melatonin levels. So that's basically the immune system. So let's quickly go through it again. You've got surfactant in the lungs. You've got zinc and iodine in the bloodstream, directly virucidal. You've got vitamin D in the macrophages. You have got vitamin A forming a cytokeratin around the cells, you've got iodine inside the cells, you've got selenium on the outside of the cells stopping the burglary in the cell, you've got melatonin medicating the cytokine storm. So, and now we're doing a lot of things wrong. We are not looking after, we're sending in our immune system and we're not giving it the right equipment to work. You don't want a military which doesn't have guns or boots because it doesn't matter how many of them, they're not gonna do very well. So let's have a look at what you're doing, the quick list of things that you gave us, and we'll, we'll see where it fits in with the system. So we're doing, so you're doing cold showers. Now what do cold showers do? Well, cold showers boost your mitochondrial function, 
where does that whole system I just discussed of all those cells, the T cells, B cells, and macrophages, where do they get their energy from? They, they're, a, they're a police force, a military force, and they need energy. If, it doesn't matter how many tanks you've got. If you've got no petrol for the tanks to run on, they're not going to work properly. So where does the immune system get its energy from? It gets it from mitochondria. Where do mitochondria, how do mitochondria produce energy? They create ATP. What do they need? They need food and sunlight to do that. Again, another reason for us to get sunlight. And what you do with cold showers is that you produce more mitochondria because when you get cold, you need to warm yourself up and mitochondria what we work up. So by doing cold showers, you're improving mitochondrial function, giving the petrol to your whole immune system to work properly. All right, intermittent fasting. Probably not so critical for your immune system. It's a good thing for us, for our health. Probably, I mean, if we, we could find seven degrees of, of separation, Kevin Bacon, to find out that it does through through does help, but it's not. Again, part of the system is about adapting and um, prioritizing and executing. So intermittent fasting is not as important as some of the other things you're doing. Zinc is important. I always say that the best place to get zinc from is oysters, and because of a number of reasons, but there's an enormous amount of zinc and zinc is very critical for our immune system, and oysters are the best place of getting, and you can get canned oysters still. Now try and get them in spring water rather than oil, but oysters are a great thing to be stockpiling in your house as well. Venison uh, has got a bit of zinc in it. Uh, and uh, yeah. Yes, well, look, after oysters, you're, in, you're into beef and venison, so yes. And sardines, so how do they go in zinc? Uh, they would be further down the list. But mm -hmm. they're a great source of the omega-3s, which mm -hmm. we're coming up to. So, yes, they're important, but probably oysters and some beef and some venison, from your perspective, with your best form of zinc. Uh, berries are full of carotenoids. Carotenoids are what get converted to vitamin A. Vitamin A, we said, forms the cytokeratin wall around. So, yeah, you want lots of berries in your diet to get the carotenoids. Other high sources of carotenoids are ruby red grapefruit, acai berries, um, sweet potato uh, the, uh, and carrots are the best form of the, the carotenoids but you want the carotenoids to make the vitamin A and there's, you can't get enough carotenoids in this crisis to make the vitamin A that you need which is why traditionally we have consumed organ meats particularly liver or cod liver oil as our source of vitamin A to, pr to, to build that cytokeratin wall around our cells. So that's why you want to be eating some pate is good or taking cod liver oil to get your preformed vitamin A. Because we also know that if your thyroid doesn't work very well or your gut's not working very well, you will not convert the carotenoids to vitamin A. So some direct vitamin A is very important in our diet. Western A. Price found that every successful healthy population consumed organ meats to get that vitamin A. DHA is very important when you're eating your seafood uh, or your so when we say DHA, I think it's much better to eat some seafood than take a DHA supplement. Why? Because selenium, uh, seafood also contains the selenium, which you need to stop to not let that virus open the door with the key. So seafood is a very uh, important source of selenium. Uh, so is Brazil nuts, was the other best source of selenium. Um, seafood also contains the the dha and you need dha for your mitochondria to work properly because they're a big part of mitochondria and of course you and i both know that you need dha for your eyes to work properly and your eyes are what converts sunlight into information for you and i to make melatonin 
So again, we've talked about melatonin inhibiting that cytokine storm. You need DHA for that. So some oysters, some fish are very important. MCT is a great source of those fats. You and I need to keep our surfactant up in our lungs. Also a great source of energy for our immune systems. Again, butter, great source of the saturated fats for the surfactant in our lungs to stop the, stop the alveoli collapsing. Oh, and the other thing that we've talked about vitamin A with liver, as well as building that cytokeratin storm, it also looks after the health of our lungs because you and I both know our lungs are full of cilia, which are like brooms going back and forth, sweeping the rubbish out of our lungs. So we don't want these viruses sitting in our lungs. Uh, they're involved. They get stuck in the mucus in our lungs. They get swept out. So vitamin A is very important for the cilia function and the mucus in our lungs. What are you talking about? Lion's mane as a medicinal mushroom and all the medicinal mushrooms, which probably have been part of how we formed as a species are very important by optimizing the whole of that system just works better with some of the nutrients from the medicinal mushrooms. Uh, you talked about sunlight. Why is sunlight so important? Well, sunlight is important two levels. One, because it gives you the vitamin D to, and it's much better for you than taking vitamin D supplement. It's a whole different discussion. I'm not a big proponent of vitamin D supplements. I'm a huge proponent of getting out and getting some sun because it gives you the vitamin D for your macrophages to work properly. It supplies your Marines with the ammunition that it needs to be the first responders. It also, as you and I know, is directly responsible for the production of our melatonin in our brain, which reduces that cytokine storm. And I think that was everything that you were, you were talking about. So, so you've, you've pretty much got a tick in all of those things. You've got a tick in the, the healthy fats. You've got a tick in the zinc, you've got a tick in the selenium and the DHA and the vitamin D, and you're eating pad A, so you've got a tick in the vitamin A. And now <laughs> you've got a tick because I know that you understand about the importance of light. Probably the one that we didn't talk about was the best source of iodine, and iodine's come up several several places along that whole sequence and the best source of iodine is seaweed but i recognize that it's hard for some of us to get access to seaweed so it is reasonable to take an iodine supplement some iodine drops and you just, the only proviso to that is if you have a recognized thyroid problem particularly autoimmune thyroid disease hashimoto's or graves you wouldn't do iodine supplement by itself without monitoring your thyroid function with your doctor we so you've got taking just about everything. You're, do, you're doing really well. And it hasn't, how hard is it? How hard Easy. is it to go and get some sun and eat some oysters and eat some freaking seaweed and make sure that you're not switching off your melatonin by looking at a blue light screen uh, in the evenings? It is not that difficult. But we're just not hearing a lot of that in the media about it's being made out that we're completely defenseless to this virus and all we should do is hide away from it. Well, there are lots of other things that you can do. And if you're going to hide away, which I'm okay with, but you better hide away and get, get on your front terrace and get some sun and sit there and eat some oysters and eat some Brazil nuts to get some selenium and have some berries to get your vitamin A and have some pad A to get your vitamin A and protect your eyes from the blue light in the evening so you optimize your melatonin function. It's all relatively easy. It's all something that we can do. We are not defenseless. We can take responsibility. We can be like the Indian community in South Africa and clean up our houses ourselves so that we are taking personal responsibility. So, and, and learning from the past, looking back to go forwards, uh, 
with confidence that we do have the ability to take personal responsibility and fix our own environment. With, um, and then we can face the future with courage and not fear. Absolutely. I like that. Um, what's the use of vitamin C or is a super dose if you get infected basically its use? And if you were really lucky, get, if you were really lucky, uh, get onto an IV vitamin C if you were infected. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. At a reasonable dose. And you have to be careful about when you read some of the studies yeah. that they have used an appropriate dose. But yes, hydrant, uh, vitamin C really comes into the the kill the virus strategy because it's in our cells forms hydrogen peroxide, which is directly virucidal against the virus. It also has a role in dampening down that cytokine storm. So yes, important, but more so important in the late stage if everything fails and you want to really up your kill strategy. And you can do that killing without and also tempering the cytokine storm, which is very important. You go too hard on the kill strategy and you'll get this terrible cytokine storm, which is what we're seeing, which is destroying people's lungs. So yes, so vitamin C important, but you're getting that naturally when you're taking your berries and then it comes more into the kill strategy of viruses inside our cells by the formation of hydrogen peroxide. Wicked. I think that um, that would probably overload most people. <laughs> yes, look, I, I mean, that, that's, that's 30 years of study of the immune system summarized in about 15 minutes. But what people should do, and I realize I gave a lot of information incredibly quickly there, but, you know, there's, there's other videos out there with me doing with, with Roby Metric, etc. But it's probably something you want to sit down and play backwards, play, play several times, three or four times, and taking some notes and go, okay, step one, selenium, step two, iodine, step three, zinc, step four, vitamin A. And just there's only about five things and it gets confusing because there's only about five, six things you need to do, but they all have a role in five, six different steps of that immune system. So there's actually 36, 37 things I've talked about and it sounds overwhelming, but you sit down and you work out, oh, it's actually much easier than I realized. I just have to sit out on my front terrace and get some sun and eat some oysters and eat some Brazil nuts and uh, put some blue light blocking glasses on at night and I'm good to go. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's... That is the sort of quandary with, with the science is that it becomes big words and interconnected webs. But like you say, play it, play it backwards, go to first principles and then move forward. And, um, and that's why when you go to a, a bunch of avenues of science, and that's where integrative medicine, like what you were practicing, I feel has such an advantage is that it's not just siloed medicine, it's integrative medicine. It's, it's finding these correlations, finding these first principles and then moving forward why in most cases of people who are prepared to do the work and like I say it's it's this is one of the cases that is both um, simple and pretty much easily done uh, the results are astounding and in those 20 years of, of chronic disease you know just go look at Jason Fung's um, hammer tool of, of fasting when you know 20 years of insulin dependent type 2 diabetes gone in 16 days you know when you take it as a system approach as a first principles idea you can you know change someone's life and, and it, that goes to what's motivating me to write this article around introducing the optometry and, and maybe the ophthalmology uh, community to the idea of bernstein method and, and um, low carbohydrate for type one as well because it's information just like the the knowing the immune system system is information which as you say helps you um prepare and move forward and have a plan which 
is what I, I hoped would get out of this. And yeah. I'm also very reassured. Um, immune, <laughs> immune system is definitely one of, in the assets column. Yes, yes. But we want to make sure it's in the asset common. And at the moment, it's probably in a lot of us not in the asset or not nearly in as much in the asset column as it should be because we're not looking after it properly. And then if you look back in history, this is all stuff which is done in history. I mean, you know, when I did my, I did some training with the Apache, they knew about this. They didn't really know why they were doing it. And I don't think, I don't think when you looked at traditional populations consuming cod liver oil and traditional populations consuming liver and medicinal plants, they knew why they were doing it. They just knew that it worked. And sometimes it didn't work for those traditional populations because, as you've seen, you you, you have to have all of those ingredients. And I did a, a podcast with Pete Evans yesterday, and it was like, sometimes it doesn't work because, you know, you could have the world's greatest Pete Evans recipe uh, for your paleo cake. But if you, if you forget the eggs, you could have all the other six ingredients, but you forget the eggs, it's not going to be a very good cake. So you want to make sure that you've got to tick in all of those boxes to give your immune system the greatest chance of success. Yeah, and I'll be sprinkling my kelp salt on my uh, sardines yeah. and eggs now as well. So uh, I do have some there, kelp salt. <laughs> there you go. I see it, you know, you know, kelp and salt at the moment. How did Gandhi get rid of the British, the salt march? I mean, some of these things, are, we recognise that they're so valuable to us Absolutely. as a species and, and we've forgotten some of these lessons. And I think this is a great time to for us to learn what happens to us if we forget some of the lessons from the past and under, understanding how our bodies work and Absolutely. honoring that and understanding that how we treat our bodies is important and understanding how we treat the earth is important. Brilliant. Mate, so uh, you're on Patreon now, so let, let uh, the audience know where they can find you and help support you as, as well as the usual places, uh, the, the Facebook okay. and Instagram. S so I'm on Instagram as Dr. Greg Emerson. I'm on Facebook as Dr. Greg Emerson's mitochondrial medicine and biohacking page. Uh, I'm on YouTube as Treat the Cause podcast. And thanks to you and your technical expertise, I'm now on um, uh, the Treat the Cause podcast. Thank goodness for your expertise in audio editing. Otherwise, I wouldn't be on the Treat the Cause podcast. And I have Patreon, uh, my Patreon page where I write daily articles and daily videos on how to optimize your health, particularly what I'm doing, and also uh, some financial stuff on, on cryptocurrencies because I think part of our planning has to be that probably the financial situation, the financial system that we use is going to change coming out of this crisis because of the financial devastation that's going to happen around the world. And then we need to have a plan for our finances and monetary situation as well. So some of the stuff I write on there and do videos with cryptocurrency experts around the world. Wicked. So um, if you could go through your um, military idea for dealing with a crisis, uh, the, the, the few things that you need to do to, to get okay. out of it. So I, I learned my military stuff from training with Rich Hungerford up on the Sunshine Coast, ex-SAS sergeant in charge of their, particularly in charge of their self-defense. And I did a whole lot of training with Rich, which gave me some, and he teaches the, the SAS uh, principles of survival and self-defense and urban protection. 
And he taught me the, the stopper system, which is this stop, don't panic, think. Even said, have a cup of tea, stop, mm -hmm. think. Now, sometimes, it, you know, you don't have much time. I mean, when I'm in an emergency position, I have to decide if I'm going to intubate somebody's airway or not. I still use that system. I might stop and think for three seconds. I'm not going to sit there for five minutes trying to work out if I should intubate the obstructed ear or not, but you can still use the system. In this crisis, it's a slow one. We've got a lot more time of sitting down and thinking. So stop, think, orientate. What are my assets? What are my liabilities? P is for plan. Make a plan based on those assets and liabilities. And then A is take action. And I think one of the problems now is that we're all facing an overwhelm of information and we're paralyzed and we're not taking action. So taking action is very important. And then the other thing that really helped me with my looking at things from a military perspective was reading Jocko Willink's book, Extreme Ownership, which I found life-saving for me when I was going through my suspension. And the two things that really I took out of that were, was the concept of prioritize and execute. Because people get so immersed in information, they go, I don't know of these 50 things that I'm reading that I should do for my immune system, that I should be doing. Well, that's airway breathing and circulation. You don't want to be spending all your time doing 49 and 50 on the list of priorities and not doing one, two, and three. I don't want to be putting a Band-Aid on the big toe when somebody's got an instructed airway. So even me as a senior emergency physician, and when I'm teaching my wilderness first aid courses in Monica, I'm still teaching airway breathing circulation. I am still doing airway breathing circulation. I'm making sure that airway is okay before I look at the breathing, before I... Um, look at the breathing and the circulation. So prioritize and execute and the concept of teams and that it's a Navy SEAL team. It's an SAS team. It is not individuals and making sure that you have your support team and your storytelling team and your uh, tribe to take action with you in place is very important. So stop, think, orientate, plan, prioritize and execute and form a team and a tribe that are going to support each other mutually through this crisis. Wonderful. We've uh, done two podcasts, talked for, what was it now? Nearly, nearly three hours. This has been freaking awesome, Greg. Uh, we're up there. We're up there with Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah, across two platforms. But hey, it's good. It's yes. good. <laughs> yes. yeah, well, it goes quickly, and it's not as though we can go out hunting or something, and we can't go to a waterfall or anything. So, yes, yeah. what we're doing now is is you and I. You know, we're in the same tribe together. We're in the same team. You and I supporting each other. Absolutely, it's it's We, you know, so. This is, this is, we're doing our, um, you know, it's putting a tick in a lot of those boxes of things to do, which is to make sure you've got a plan. You and I have been mutually helping each other with our plans yeah. in all aspects of life. And it's great that you're in my team and, and part of my tribe. And it's been very supportive for me. And I've been able to give you some support as well. So we're, we're helping ourselves as well by doing this podcast, not just hopefully helping some other people. Absolutely. And I'll reiterate that, uh, at the start, I had a little bit of apprehension this morning. Uh, now I feel so much better, and that's the value of having a deep and wide-ranging and open conversation because um, it is therapeutic, whether, whether that's in a, as a cathartic experience or a, or a relieving experience. Uh, the conversation is amazing. It's, it's our human need. It's fantastic. So, yeah. Well, I'd rather be sitting around a file, a file oh, with yeah. you and doing the storytelling, but uh, that 
is coming in and and I don't know how long, but you <laughs> and I both have hope, courage and certainty that we will get back to that one day in a relatively near future and be able to sit there and and, and uh, tell our stories. And those stories we will pass on to, I have two daughters, you have one. We'll be telling those stories for a long period of time when we're, we're uh, a little bit more old, sitting around the fire on a stump, telling our, retelling our, our daughters these stories. Beautiful. Cheers, brother. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Epic Tools there to finish off. Stopper and prioritise and execute. That also goes with the A in stopper. Um, take action. Yeah. There's plenty of other ways to get through this. Um, I think maybe Jocko Willink and he's reiterating it from, and I don't know his name, it's an admiral somewhere. Um, as well as Jordan Peterson, and that's making your bed. Um, Jocko takes that a little bit further and says, get up and get out of bed at the same time. Get up before the enemy, so to speak. Um, yeah, he's a cool dude, old Jocko Willink. Um, no time for bullshit with him. <laughs> yeah. As I said in the podcast, I was starting to get a bit apprehensive with all of this COVID-19. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there feeling similarly, probably even worse. Um, My job is is there, I guess, but what things are going to look like in the future is hard to really pinpoint. I don't know. I think that's that's the biggest thing to um, go through is that we don't know and prepare for the worst, take action for the worst, um, but hope for the best. And I'm definitely hoping for the best. And I'm also hoping that the leadership in this country and around the world starts to offer us all with a plan so that we can take action, we can move forward. We can gain some certainty. That's something that uh, I've been working with my coach, Tony Walker, about is ascertaining certainty in your life, uh, connection, um, significance. You know, just sitting here twiddling your thumbs um, doesn't really do too much for that. And that's why I've been extremely lucky to live out here on my mate's farm and, and have something to do. Uh, to contribute uh, to their little system and help them through what many farmers are facing right now. And that's a tough time with what's been a very dry summer. There's not much grass out there at the moment. Um, we've had, we have had some rain of late, which has been great, and the grass is starting to grow, but the temperature is also dropping. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting month ahead Uh not just in terms of supply chains and and um, making money and exporting our our produce to the world and, and to locally, uh, but also uh, whether or not the grass grows and the feeds there. So lots going on, lots of moving parts in the world. Um, but yeah, hearing nature, 
getting your feet on the ground, sun on your skin. It's a it's an awesome place. Of course, the podcast is brought to you by Waikito, W-A-I-K-E-T-0.P-A-U-V-I-T-N-O-W.com. Exogenous ketones help you get into ketosis, uh, stimulate the immune system with butyrate. Yeah, I was listening to that on Pete Evans today. Um, lower the cytokine storm, I think. It's one of the effects of butyrate. Yeah. Why it's good for traumatic brain injury helps to lower that over inflammatory process in the brain as well as fuel the neurons without the need for insulin. So it's a fantastic tool, uh, ketosis and exogenous ketones. Um, also for optimizing energy sources when you're doing long sustained activity um, and can be used as a tool in uh, conjunction with you know specific carb loads and or fasting or ketogenic diet low carbohydrate diet uh, but yeah help you have that accessible clean burning energy of beta hydroxybutyrate there's also the crema the tea the broth the mct oil signo os uh, the keto reboot and the keto 10 day challenge all available on the website check it out thanks so much for listening i hope you got a lot out of it i definitely feel so much better after talking to greg and like i said look out for his treat the course podcast and uh, check out the links in the show notes yeah but 